Dose of Leadership Podcast, episode 105. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. This is Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. This show is brought to you by my sponsor, Audible.com. If you're like me, you like to read, but you're having trouble finding the time to squeeze in all those great books, well, Audible.com is a perfect solution. Audiobooks are great. I never thought I would like them, but I love them now. It's a great way to get caught up. I listen to and get caught up on the book as I'm driving to work, if I'm exercising, any free time, working out in the yard, I can get caught up on all my reading. You can go to uh, my website, doseofleadership.com slash audible. And you can uh, download a free audiobook. Any audiobook they have, over 100,000 titles to choose from. You can download it for free, listen to it. You can sign up for 30 days with no obligation. If you don't like it after 30 days, you can cancel your subscription. But again, it's no risk to you. Go check out doseofleadership.com slash audible and make your smartphone smarter. Well, I'm so thrilled to have on my show today Arthur Karmatsi. He's ranked as one of the global top 10 most influential leadership gurus by Gurus International. He is a best-selling author and founder of the Directive Communication Psychology with 22 years of practical and research experience specializing in psychological approaches to leadership and corporate cultural transformation. He is also a renowned motivational leadership keynote speaker and trainer in Asia whose innovative tools and techniques have made a substantial impact on the people development industry. Arthur, welcome to the Dose of Leadership podcast. Thank you very much, Richard. I'm very happy to be here. Well, I'm glad for you to be here, and, in, and you're, we're connecting via, you're in Indonesia, is that correct? Where are you at exactly? Uh, yeah, yeah, I am in Bali. Bali, right. Well, it's great. We had a little, just so you know, in the in about 30 minutes trying to get connected, but uh, we finally got connected, the amazing world of technology, but uh, thanks for joining us. So tell us a little bit more about yourself, Arthur. I mean, how you got started in leadership, why are you passionate about leadership? Oh, I got I got started because I failed miserably at it. It was uh, it was tragic. I mean, I, you know, as, as far as when it came to really bad leadership, you know, I I lived it, and uh, and and that just that just sucked. <laughs> so um, <laughs> what ended up happening was that I uh, I, I had found myself uh, broke and and in massive debt, and so I got this job. And uh, you know, when you get a when you first get a job, you're really excited, right? I mean, you're really passionate. You're you know ready to go. You're you're you got all of these great ideas of things that you can do. And um, and and after a while, then you start noticing that things just aren't as rosy as they can. And I was leadership position, but it was just the position. And um, I had. And, and and I created a, a rather poor environment in the department that I was leading uh, simply because I just didn't know what I was doing. And um, when, I, when I found myself not being the person that I, I thought I should be, uh, that's when I started to do research and uh, eventually managed to uh, come up with some different ideas that based on my failures uh, helped me to kind of figure out the group dynamics that affect people that literally become underperformers 
not because they're, they, they don't have talent or they don't have ability, but because they get sucked into specific cultures that don't support their success. So what, what, what position did you have I and mean, what company were you working for when you kind of had this transformation? Well, because the, the culture really sucked, I don't really want to mention the company, oh, but gotcha. let's just say it was a, a large multinational and, and I was a department head at the time. And uh, prior to that, I, I used to, uh, uh, I had actually started my own business and taken all of my money and put it in there and, and ended up being half a million dollars in debt. That's oh, why I, I ended up getting this. And uh, it was a pretty good paying job, but, you know, at, at one point, it just got to the point, it, it got to the where I, I just didn't even want to go to work. And it was, it, it was just hard to wake up in the morning and go, oh my gosh, you know, and, ju and just drag myself to work. And, and, and that's, I, I didn't really want to live that kind of life. And, uh, but I couldn't quit because I needed the money. Right. So how did you? So uh, it, the the next best thing was, um, which which took me a while to figure out that that see when you get sucked in you don't even realize it you just think everybody's everybody is out to get you it's it's all other people's fault and you you just start looking for for, for excuses and people to blame and and um, it was the decision to actually go and and talk to some of these bad people um, that really made the the difference. Because what I, I I found out something very very interesting, that all of these people who were actually making my life difficult and 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 you know blaming me and blaming others and all these people who are not cooperating and 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 not supporting the success of the company as as I would see it, all these people like were real human beings and and they actually had real standards and and really wanted to make an impact and they also had gotten sucked into this this culture that was accidentally created mm. and 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 so I figured it's got to be something more than just the individual they, because you know I mean if you would have put these guys into another place another environment they, they could have excelled but environment literally brings out different facets and different people so what, and not always good. So what, it, what part of the environment needs to change? How do you create uh, or what, what, is, what is this in, you know, in your mind, this um, change in environment? What needs to happen? Well, well see, again, I mean, it, for, first of all, all right, well, let's, uh, let's just look at, at some of the, the different uh, things that we do. I mean, one of the things that we do is we, we do literally culture change, Okay. We go to these different companies, and there's, of course, certain criteria that they must fit, but we can literally change the organization's culture within 80 days, okay? And it's sustainable. And the, the thing is that every time we do these kinds of programs, okay, and, and we've done them in, what, 36 different countries, okay, regardless of what country, regardless of what culture, regardless of what age group, okay, the people that are involved, every single person Okay, education doesn't matter, culture doesn't matter. Every single person wants the same thing when you ask them what they want as far as an ideal working environment. They all want the same stuff. And what is it? So, well, okay, basically everybody wants teamwork, okay? They want to be able to, to, you know, really depend on each other. They want a supportive environment, okay? They want to enjoy and have fun at work. They want to, you know, be in a situation where they can trust others and be trusted. 
and they want to be in in a, a, a situation where they are clear about what they need to do in order to basically succeed. And you know, different. Um, it doesn't matter where, but these are the fundamentals that more or less everybody wants. So if you've got everybody wanting the same thing, why can't they achieve it? And and basically what ends up happening is that because everybody's focusing on the process instead of the objective. Yeah, I think I know what you're saying because so many times what drives me crazy is I see people uh, we do all this planning and, and we put this nice Microsoft project plan up on the board and everybody starts working to plan and when and the plan inevitably doesn't come to fruition, everybody freaks out and they, they, they get wrapped around the axle and working the plan. And I always say that you need to work the dream or the goal, right? Is that what you're saying? Absolutely, Richard. And, and, and you hit it spot on. I mean, I mean, this is the thing that, okay, I mean, fundamentally, okay, Human beings just have differences, all right? Now, we all know that we're all different, but the thing is that half the time we are looking at why this person just has no common sense and why you know this person you know just can't do something simple or why this person can't be like this or they can't be like that, and and so. We're, we're, we're so wrapped up in our own version of the way that things should be that we forget to actually do what is the end result. And what, 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 what basically you know, we, we had come up with is, is the, the recipe, essentially, to identify the different facets of how and why people do things and by creating an awareness of that, it, it creates a, an opportunity for people to use and leverage on the differences rather than complain and 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 take, you know, uh, 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 and, and just basically ignore people or or their processes because it doesn't match with what they think it should be, and focus on the objective. Yeah. So what is the major um, blockage uh, of, of establishing leadership culture? I mean, one thing that I've always noticed is, um, again, it's not it's not through malice or intentionality. It's just a, a lack of, of knowledge of what it means to have a leadership culture. What do you think is the major obstacle preventing people from letting this culture unleash? Uh, ego. I oh, mean, yeah. Bottom line, it's 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 ego. Uh, people believe that. I mean, okay, let's just look at, at the average person. Okay, I mean, and and I've been here. You know, you you do something and you're good at it, right? Right. So because you're good at it, you start thinking, well, gosh, I'm super good at this, so therefore it must work for other people. It's kind of like you know when you when when you explain something to somebody and you're you're you know you know it's worked for you you know exactly that if you do this and this and this you're going to get this and you explain it to people and they go out and they try and do this and they fail at it and you're looking at these guys and you're saying how is it possible that if you would have followed this exact process you would you you failed and and then you know you get you start reacting and then of course you know they start reacting to you and basically you're cre literally creating 
an underperforming culture because you're missing out on trust. And, and trust is the key to developing that super leadership culture. And ego gets in the way of really developing that trust because you just think that you have the answers. And, and by not letting go of that, and that you're, you're eliminating one of the key factors that can really make a great culture. Yeah, no, you hit it on the head. I mean, you're absolutely right. Ego is, is such a, a dangerous beast, and you see it. And, I, and I've said here on this show for a long time here, for the past nine months, I think the key to the secret sauce is authenticity and vulnerability. I think you're seeing, um, especially in the States, on the Western side, that authenticity has become the new authority and leadership. Tell, what about culturally? I mean, you're across the globe, and you see you know, particularly the Asian cultures. Do you see a major difference between the Western and, and the Asian style? It seems like, oh, this, yeah, Tell, talk to ab- me about that. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, there's a super major difference. First of all, I mean, here, okay, you don't talk back to authority, okay? Right. I mean, that's, uh, and, and that's, a, that's a big problem. Uh, however, uh, again, if you have a common language, okay, that you can deal with these, then, you know, you're, you're basically getting people to, to, be able to express themselves without, you know, creating confrontational type of conversations. Okay, so for example, like we've got a variety of different models that help people to gain a, a better awareness of why and, and how they're doing things. And so, for example, one of them, uh, which you may have heard of, is the colored brain. And the colored brain basically identifies the genetic way that you process information. So literally, what we, we, we use the, the, the term of looking through colored glasses because you, your perceptions of things are, are, are just different. Um, and it's not, less, it's not like you can change it because it's a genetic foundation. So when you understand that like this person has, say, for example, chaotic processing, and they can't change it. Well, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, the the what Buddha once said: "Life is suffering, <laughs> but once you accept it, you transcend it." Okay, and what that means in today's language: shit happens, live with it, right? <laughs> I mean, right. you know, at, at the end of the day, you've got, you just have to. You know, when, once it's it's there and you understand, it can't be changed. You you live with it, and and by saying, oh, okay, well now I understand. This person's a green brain, and so you use this language to uh, to to just communicate with each other. It's like, okay, hey, dude, I I know you're green brain, but you know, hey, let's uh, let's you know try it this way or something like that. It creates a, a fun and and communicative environment where people can literally just you know, deal with each other on a, on a fun level without creating confrontation. Who has been your major influences? I mean, who, if you could think back to who was a major mentor and impact in your life on the leadership front. Ken Blanchard. Oh, yeah. The dude is, he's got to be one of my idols. The, the, the guy is awesome. Yeah, I've been trying to get him on the show for quite some time. It's still in works, and uh, it's been a lot of back and forth, but hopefully I'll get him on the show. I agree with you. He's, he's one of the best, right? Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's uh, definitely one of my my greater influences. So, what advice would you give to somebody? You know, there's a lot of folks out there in the audience, a lot of people that are kind of in the middle, 
or not necessarily having a leadership title, they're just getting in the leadership game. What advice would you give them for getting getting started in the, the leadership business? Well, trust is going to be a foundation to creating a greater culture. So the only way that you're going to be able to develop trust is to basically help people to fail intelligently. Mm. Okay? Assuming that you know everything and, and assuming that because if something has worked for you that somebody looking through different colored glasses or having different motivations is going to get the same result is well basically it's insanity right. okay it's like it's like giving somebody a recipe and it's like even though it's all detailed out it's never going to taste the same as it does when you make it okay because you just put some of yourself into it regardless of what you do so the best advice I would do is is accept that people will make mistakes help them to fail intelligently instead of just you know telling them what to do getting them to take up their own direction their own ideas uh, supporting their success through potential failure and when they do fail making sure that that they understand the consequences of their failure without blaming them Okay, make it, getting getting them to come up with a solution so that they can fix the failure and coming up with a potential uh, way of solving the problem so it doesn't happen in the future. And if you let them do it, they're learning. They're also that people will remember things through their own failure far more than they will through a success. Yeah, I like what you said. I mean, for me, it's always as the leader, if you can focus on intent. You know, I've made that mistake so many times where I try to do so many things for them, all the hows to keep it simple. And when I started kind of reverting back to focusing on, I'm going to just give them the, the intent, you know, give them the why and leave the how up to them. That's when things really started to happen. That's yeah, what, absolutely. Yeah. Now, sometimes you still need to give them some guidance, oh, but sure. give them guidance based on uh, your experience and not this is the way you should do it. You know, one of my favorite articles that you have is a really interesting article about the uh, the, the Great Pyramids. And uh, not only is it a historical lesson, but it's a great leadership lesson, too. Talk to us about that article about the Great Pyramids. Well, basically, the, um, the, the foundations are that, uh, you know, because of a certain Charlton Heston movie, everybody believes that the pyramids were built by slaves. And... Um, it's not true. I mean, there was uh, some phenologists that uh, uh, from Harvard came up, and they found all these uh, different um, uh, graveyards with you know massive, massive amounts of cow bones and fossilized clover leaves and everything else, and, and and all sorts of other evidence that basically indicate that it was the Egyptians, okay, that have built the the Great Pyramids. And um, prior to that, there was there's hundreds of pyramids in Egypt. It's just that the famous ones are the ones at Giza. And most of the ones prior to the ones at Giza failed. I mean, literally, they're in ruins, and you don't hear about them because, well, they're just all in ruins. And, and the thing is that most of the people that were working on these other pyramids in the past, well, they were more or less brought into the job out of obligation. Okay, So back then, they had this thing called Bach, which is the caste system. And... Out of this Bach, okay, one person was obligated to do something for the cast above them, who was obligated to do something for the cast above them, and so on. And they 
came to work and got paid in grain and maybe an occasional chicken. And, and back then, consultants were actually paid in chickens. Go figure. <laughs> and uh, so uh, when they put their – when they went to work, they just didn't really have the, the, you know, the personal motivation. I mean it was an obligation. They got their rations and that was it. So stuff just didn't really get innovated and the hundreds of pyramids prior to the ones at Giza just more or less ended up the same and are in ruins today. So Kofu, uh, Farouk Kofu, he decided he was going to try something new. So he got his architects together and so he says, okay, hey, let's, uh, let's try something different. Let's get these people in and let's feed them the same food that we eat here in the royal court. And his architects, of course, thought he was a little bit nutty, but hey, they you know follow the pharaoh because he's the boss. So they go out and and see. I mean, the only reason to have clover-fed beef is the taste. It's not really you know, and and clover hard to to irrigate, especially back then when the Nile is flooding all the time. And so it was hard to get this clover fed beef but they went through all of the extra trouble and they you know they raised all of these cows so that they would feed these people now of course the people here now they already had the skill but now what they had was something completely different now what they had was was a totally different attitude it's like oh my gosh you know this is never this is we are making history here this has never been done ever before Okay, here is the Pharaoh who at the time was the living God, and he, we're eating the same food that he is. It's like, holy smokes, you know, how is it that, that, that we are worthy? And, and they just, you know, they, they were feeling successful before they even started the project. Mm. And so what ended up happening is that uh, the, uh, the, the architects created these different gangs of these highly motivated individuals and they all worked on stuff and they came up with all these new innovative concepts of how to literally build a better pyramid and of course I mean the the results are here we, we they're still here 4,000 years later and foundationally it was because they were treated in a way that was unexpected they created trust and Beyond the, the, the better attitude, what happened was that they had a cause. And when you have a cause, it work stops being work. It becomes something bigger than yourself. Yeah. And, and that's, what, uh, that's what they had done. They had literally created this cause. And for example, like uh, you know, I had mentioned earlier, we do these culture change programs. Well, when we take the cause of creating the ideal working environment, which is basically we, something we know that everybody can buy into, okay, that becomes the greater purpose. You've got people working at the level of cause, which just changes the entire perspective of what work means. And innovation and trust and the passion comes out of that. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it's so it's so obvious that uh, whenever you want to get people to rally around a cause, they have to feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves. I mean, that's what the pyramid story tells me. Is that, and you're absolutely right. If you think that you could build something as great and as everlasting as the pyramids. You know, it is kind of folly to think you can do it through forced labor and, and slave labor. You're never going to get anything sustainable out of that. 
And, um, and, and people do that now. I mean, you've got employees that go to work for the salary and it's like, okay, here's my skill, give me my money. Here's my skill, give me my money. Okay, and, and that's, they're working at the level of skill. Right. Only when you start giving them other emotional gratifications, okay, that's when you start to get, you know, a higher attitude. And when you have a cause, that's when you when when work in itself changes. How receptive are the companies when you when you go to companies and you work with them when you kind of highlight this to them that hey, it is about making your employees feel like part of something bigger than themselves? Is are they receptive to that? Yeah, I, I mean, well, okay, you can't say everybody's receptive to it, right. but. Uh, the, the, the thing is, sometimes, I mean, we, we get, you know, some organizations that say, well, okay, we're the senior management, we want you to fix our people, but we're really busy and we don't actually have time mm -hmm. to participate in something like this. Right. And, and, and that, then it doesn't work, so we just, we can't do it, because we say, well, you have to or it won't work, and then they say, well, sorry. Um, but, uh, see, the thing is that, okay, I mean, here's, here, I don't know if you've read any of my other articles, but one article is based on how social media has affected and impacted leadership these days. Mm. See, 20 years ago, you'd go to a company and you'd get all this emotional gratification from working there. Okay, so you go to the boss, okay, the boss represents uh, a sense of significance, you know, you, you know, you feel good about, you know, recognition, um, you know, you, you've got all these people, your friends at work that are, are part of your social group, and you've got, you, you literally have a different social system and, emo and, and, and means of getting emotional gratification at work. Well, now with Facebook and, you know, and, and SMS and instant everything, okay, have been or are able to get their emotional gratifications instantly through everything else. You know, and so so the the standards of leadership have completely skyrocketed. They've gone through the roof compared to where it used to be 20 years ago. Because yeah. now, if somebody, if your leader doesn't live up to the expectation, well, you just shut off and you know you just start. Go into your and talk to your friends on Facebook, where you can get that emotional gratification instantly, instead of dealing with uh, with with an issue there. Interesting. And 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 the thing is that because of of the the, the because of technology and and the social structures of te that technology have set up, we're less patient. Uh, we 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 want to see instant results. We want instant emotional gratification. Um, the the millennials, or what they call here Y generation, okay, they're not different than anybody else. They've just grown up with the technology that has made them more aware of this and has just they've gotten this emotional gratification from from you know the, the beginning of their of of their ability to interact with people so so for them it's just natural and it's it's it is just the way it is the older people some of them haven't figured that out yet okay but leadership has a new standard because of technology and the social effects that that has had well yeah yeah we've talked about that on some of the other shows you're absolutely right and it's a different way to deal with it and um and I do see the millennials and people who have brought up the technology that that really what what drives them is being part of something bigger than themselves, which I think is a positive sign. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's I mean a lot of people say, oh, the millennials—they're you know 
they are always changing stuff. They're you know they're impatient. All this stuff. It's they they are no different than any other human being. It's just that they have different access or, or they have easier access to getting their emotional gratified gratifications through technology. But you create an environment where there's real people, where there's real success, where there's real possibilities, and absolutely guarantee you, you will get absolute loyalty from these people. Yeah, yeah. Couldn't agree with you more. Well, guys, Arthur, we're running up against the clock here, and it was so fun. There's so many things I could talk about. i got to have you back. and there, there's you're, You have so many articles. Your website is just um, immense with information. Tell people how they can get in touch with you. How can they can find you? What's a good way to get in touch with you? Uh, well, okay. Uh, easy way to get in touch with me is uh, uh, with uh, Arthur C at Carmazzi.net. That's uh, Carmazzi C A R M A Z Z I dot net. Yeah. Any anything else? Anything else you want to promote or? Like- oh well, gosh, you know. Uh, Everything, <laughs> but uh, no, just uh, uh, go to the website carmazi.net uh, or directivecommunication.com, which is uh, where we actually train people in directive communication psychology, so that they can train others uh, using this methodology and do culture change programs themselves across the world. Right now we have, uh, almost 200, uh, licensees using this around the world Great. and making a big difference. That's awesome. Do you ever make it to the States? You know, not that often. Um, and most of our people are in the Middle East and Asia. You know, we'd, we'd love to get some people uh, in the States and get some master trainers out there to uh, develop a, a global, a larger global presence. Well, actually, Arthur, I'm a big fan. Thanks for coming on the show. And uh, I'll have links to all these on here and uh, for people to check it out. I love your website. A lot of great articles. And uh, thanks for coming on the show. It's absolutely my pleasure, Richard. We'll talk to you again. See you. All right. Bye-bye. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership eBook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.